It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Good afternoon, Northern California. Welcome. Just about five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. as we welcome you to another edition of Lifeline. Keeping you company Monday through Friday at this time, as we typically do, addressing issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. As school starts up across the San Francisco Bay Area, no doubt within a short period of time, there will probably be some parents that aren't altogether very pleased. Not pleased, perhaps, with the curriculum that your student is being exposed to. Not pleased with the environment in which your child is being taught. For increasing numbers of parents, concerns not only just over the caliber of the curriculum, as a priority, but also the environment in which that curriculum is taught and how all of that goes to important points in developing not just a child's educational knowledge, scholastic schools, but ultimately their life skills. If you find yourself in that position, then we've got some good news. Joining us on the line is the principal of Bay Christian School. Many of you know it, no doubt, by its former name, Calvary Temple Christian School. And Principal John Jackson joins us. John, great to have you on the show. Yes, thank you so much. Appreciate it. I would suspect in your years in Christian education, you probably run into this a lot, where parents send their kids off to school at the beginning of the semester, and maybe as there's been a grade change or maybe even a school change moving from, say, elementary to middle school, they're beginning to find out that they're not altogether pleased with what the child is coming home with, with some of the stories that are being told in relationship to either the environment or even getting a look at the curriculum and thinking, you know, some of this doesn't seem to be either A, up to par with the level at which I'd like my student to be learning, or B, up to par at the moral and spiritual level at which an environment in which I'd like my child to be educated. How often do you run into those cases? Right. I think all the time. It's, uh, you know, it's not a thing where uh, parents necessarily feel like their kids are, you know, around terrible, awful people or anything like that in a secular environment, but just that their uh, kids are not being in an environment where they're supported um you know, with the same values that they're teaching at home. So, uh, you know, if they, parents sometimes want to just get them in an environment where the values are supported, uh, you know, I don't, and we don't seek to kind of hide them from things that happen in the world because, you know, that's, that's where we live. So, uh, but I think, uh, there's a lot of value to having godly, uh, people guiding them and leading them and helping them uh, through these problems. And a lot of parents want them in an environment where, you know, when things happen and kids do what kids do, then there's good influences there to help them and guide them and those type of things. And, you know, one of the kind of axioms that I try to live by just with my own kids is, is to expose them to high-impact people and high-impact events. And in this case, it's uh, exposing them to high-impact people, godly, excellent people that can help guide them through their their uh, decision-making, conflict resolution, all that stuff. Meanwhile, they're you know teaching them their academics. 
A family friend with a couple of kids in school who made the decision to uh, transfer their children out of public school and into a private Christian school. And, and and as this buddy of mine was telling me, he said, my wife and I made the decision not because the schools in our neighborhood were necessarily all that bad. In fact, on par here in the Bay Area, certainly as a national average, we've got some pretty decent schools here. He said, but my concern was we only have one shot to get this right. And I just didn't want to take the risk. Moreover, they were of the belief that the earlier that the moral and spiritual standards, skills, and knowledge is is implanted in them, the better chance that their children would have growing up following the Lord, loving the Lord, and being model moral citizens. And so their decision was largely based, John, on this notion that you only get one time, one chance to do it right. Right, and I, I've been thinking this lately and thought this for quite a while, actually, is uh, you know, if the longer that you can have them in that environment, um, you know, I think some of us, we, we almost make the mistake of thinking, can I, you know, can I expose them early to get them used to what the world has? And uh, I just don't know if that's the right way to think about this. I think it's more at home. Our parenting is the key here. So our parenting can help the way that they think. And the way that they think is going to be what prepares them for the world. And if we can help them think as independent, godly, wise decision makers, then no matter what they've been exposed to when they um, get in the world and to college and high school and all those places, they're going to make wise decisions because they're going to listen to the voice inside them, which is the Holy Spirit, and their um, the decision-making that they've been uh, trained to make, they're going to listen to those voices instead of trying to listen to outside voices. So my point is that uh, the longer we can keep them in this environment, I think the better. Instead of thinking, well, if I can expose them earlier to those things, that's better for them to get used to it. So the example that I've been thinking lately is if I go on an airplane and I'm going to go to Miami and back, and I have a business class ticket on the way there and a regular ticket on the way back. When I'm on the way there, I'm not going to, and I'm in business class, halfway there, I'm not going to say, well, I think I'm going to go back and coach now because I want to get used to it because I know on the way back I've got to sit back here. You know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take every ounce of that business class the whole way there because, you know, you don't, it's, a, it's a privilege, you love it. It's, it's, you know, you take every second of it you can. Uh, and then when you have to go back to coach, you go back to coach. And uh, I've been thinking that the same way with this. Is the longer that you can keep your kids in that environment, the longest, every ounce you can. I think you're going to look back at that and go, man, I'm sure, I'm sure glad we did that. And then our parenting is the key on raising kids that can think for themselves, that make wise decisions, uh, and that can... You make godly decisions with the help of the Holy Spirit inside them. And at the end of the day, they'll have a lifetime to be exposed to the world, to be sure. One of the things that strikes me about your school, Bay Christian School, located in Concord, and I'll mention listeners, by the way, if you're considering making a change for your student and you'd like to find out more, you can go online to Bay Bulldogs. 
www.baychristianschool.com. That's the website for Bay Christian School. Learn more about the school, the curriculum, all of the programs that it offers. But one of the things that strikes me about part of the focus at Bay Christian is that you're not just looking at, as we've been discussing, knowledge, but life skills. And part of the goal of Bay Christian is to raise the next generation of leaders, communicators, givers, community contributors, and learners for life. Tell us more about that, John. So at the base of what we do is, of course, educating the kids. Our kids learn well. They test well. They do well in life. We, uh, Our students graduate from here, and they do all kinds of things. They they become doctors, they become all kinds of things, and they become, you know, any kind of profession you can imagine, teachers and people that work in the bank, anything that you can imagine. But, the so that's at the base. Of course, we're going to educate the kids, and they're going to do just fine there. But a thought that we have here is, would we rather have a smart kid, or would we rather have a kind kid? And... If we have a really smart kid that scores well and tests really high and marks every box just fine, but isn't kind to other people and isn't friendly to people and and can't show God's love to people, then we feel like we've sort of failed in what we're trying to do because there's a whole lot more to educating a child and just having them be able to spell the words right or solve the math problem. And in the same way, if a child can answer all the questions but socially can't, say, order a sandwich for themselves when they go to Subway or can't introduce themselves to an adult in an unfamiliar situation, to us that's as important as being able to mark all the right boxes because being educated with the formal uh, testing parts is one component, but treating people with kindness and having social skills and being able to do things out in society is another component of being able to succeed in society. And when they go on from here, we don't want a bunch of robots that can test well, but we want students and young men and women that can love God, care about other people, and help other people and become young men and women that are helping society and the church and their families in their own right when they leave here. Principal John Jackson is with us today. He is principal at Bay Christian School, formerly known as Calvary Temple Christian School. Information available on the web again at baybulldogs.com. That's baybulldogs.com. Bay Christian is participating in the KFAX Half-Price Christian Tuition Back-to-School Program. If you'd like to get more information about that, simply log on to kfax.com. That's kfax.com. John, I understand that in addition to offering preschool, certainly elementary and middle school, you also have extended day to help folks out that are working. And if uh, people would like to get more information about the variety of programs that you offer, including um, tutoring services, concert band, athletics, and chapel as well. Um, can they come by and take a tour? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, they can inquire on the website. Most of the questions are going to be answered on there uh, as far as what you've just mentioned and, and anything else. Uh, and then they can inquire on the website with either an application or an email. And then give us a call to ask any questions. And if they want to come by and uh, see the campus and take a look around, that's never a problem. 
All right, and again, you can get more information directly about Bay Christian at baybulldogs.com, or you can call area code 925-458-9870. That's 925-458-9870. Again, Bay Christian, just one of the many schools participating in the KFAX Half-Price Christian Tuition Program. Details available on that, as well as other schools throughout the Bay Area at kfax.com. Our thanks to John Jackson, principal at Bay Christian School for being with us today. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Weary is an area in my Christian walk that I will admit I struggle with, not even just from time to time, sometimes almost continuously. And let's face it, these days there's a big laundry list of things that we can all be worried about. Now, it's not just limited to, will the Giants win the playoffs? But it's things like financial problems, family troubles, health problems, things of this sort, and suddenly we find ourselves in a whole heap of worry. But what does Jesus say about worry? Well, he tells us, first off, in Matthew 6 and 25, not to be anxious about life, not to worry about what we're going to eat or drink or about our body or what you're going to wear. You have to um, set aside concerns over things like food. In fact, realize that even as God cares for the birds of the air, as they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet our Heavenly Father feeds them, so too then should we recognize that we are of greater value than they, and therefore should recognize that being anxious cannot add even a single hour to our lifespan. In fact, medical doctors will often tell you it can detract from your physical health. So how do we deal with worry and being anxious in life. Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry is the title of a new book by Amy Simpson. And Amy, great to have you on the program. Thank you. It's great to be here with you. Well, this is a topic I think all of us uh, deal with at one layer or another. I guess maybe the big room divider here would be those that um, that have a healthy amount of worry. Um, I think sometimes that fight-flight response to things going on around us is an important one to, to have. And, but then, of course, there's the other side of this coin, and that is when worry becomes excessive. It's no longer normal. It is over-concern or, or maybe a combination of a couple of things, over-concern and, as you suggest in the book, uh, coupled with some under-trust. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I do feel like it's important to make some distinctions, be, you know, because um, what, what I'm talking about here is not pathological anxiety. It's not, um, you know, an anxiety disorder, which really needs to be addressed through maybe counseling, um, sometimes medication, sometimes both, um, but really the choice to engage in worry. And you're right, anxiety is uh, and fear are created to be healthy tools for us. They can help keep us safe. They can help us make wise decisions and avoid situations that we should avoid. Um, sometimes I think when people think they need to address the problem of worry in their lives, they really try to get rid of all fear and anxiety. And, you know, we don't need to rid ourselves of those things completely. They are positive, healthy tools. But worry, you know, just pointlessly worrying about something is different. And, you know, choosing to engage in that behavior does reflect, um, I think, often reflect a belief in our lives that needs to be corrected. Let's drill down to some important definitions here. First, you make a distinction, I think, that it it can be a decision. This is something that we engage in, that there is an aspect of this that is that is voluntary. Is that so? Yeah, absolutely. Now, with something like an anxiety disorder, the anxious response, that fight or flight, is not voluntary. 
And even with someone who has an anxiety disorder, that's not voluntary. It's really a healthy, normal process that's working too well. It's working overtime, and the body or the brain doesn't know when to shut it off. And that's different. What I'm talking about is the worry that we do engage in voluntarily, even if it's so habitual that we think we're not choosing to do it. It is an action, whether we realize it or not, and it is something that we can um, can address. It, you know, it's not out of our control. Is there an aspect of this which is um, passed along through family lines? And I ask that question because oftentimes I think of people that kind of tend to uh, uh, fit into that so-called worry more category that might tend to come from a family where it was very common. You know, dad worried about finances, mother worried about whether or not the bills were going to be paid on time, or sometimes whether or not dinner was undercooked or overcooked. I mean, it, it can go from the sublime, I suppose, to the ridiculous. Do we tend to sometimes model that if we've seen um, a parent in our uh, youth who excessively gave time over to worry? Do we tend to sometimes pick up those habits? Yeah, absolutely. Just like any other behavior or any other habit, um, worry can be modeled for us. And, and unfortunately, as we engage in it and indulge it, we um, make it more likely that it will become habitual, maybe even get to a point where it's um, really destructive to our health or it feels like something we can't control. And, and more than that, as your book goes into in great detail, it can go beyond something that is uh, simply um, obsessive to the destructive power of worry that can not only uh, overcome and impact our relationships with um, our spouses or our children, but even ultimately have a negative impact on our relationship with God. Yeah, exactly. Worry is really, I consider it really an act of rebellion on our part. Um, first, you know, first of all, doing something that God has, has asked us not to do, asked his people not to do. Um, but also, you know, choosing to often, like I said, there's a belief behind that worry. So often it's a, a belief that is something like, um, I believe the world is my responsibility, <laughs> or I believe God is not strong enough to handle this, or um, you know, I'm, I'm worrying because I'm trying to see into the future. I'm trying to understand what's going to happen so that I can decide what I should do now. And that's not something that God has given us. You know, he hasn't given us the future. So sometimes we are trying to, when we, we worry, we are actually trying to undermine the, the created order, the limitations that God has placed on us, um, the dramatic... Um, distance between us and him as far as how much higher his ways are than our ways. Is there a direct correlation, too, based on your research on this book, Amy, between um, worry and the the desire to want to control the future um, pitted against our ability to trust God? Yeah, absolutely. I think um, the, the future is one of the, our greatest sources of worry. And when we stop to think about what exactly we're worrying over when we say we worry about um, what's going to become of our kids or our jobs or um, the economy or something like that. Often we are worrying about tomorrow or next year or five years down the road. And what we're really doing is, again, trying to live in a place we can't live, trying to access something that God has not given us. And what that does, in effect, is pull us away from what he has given us. You know, it's a distraction from the present, um, from what God has placed in front of us and called us to, 
we're in favor of something that he has not given us mm. and that may never be ours. And may also, therefore, um, potentially drive a, a wedge between ourselves and God, too, because we're we're trying to control something that he has not given us control over. And, and obviously, then, too, demonstrative of maybe a notion, a little bit of that, that sin nature creeping in, where we feel as if we can do a better job controlling things than God himself. Yes, absolutely. Sometimes it's a problem of of misunderstanding ownership as well. You know, mm. we tend to think that we own the people and possessions in our lives, and we don't. Um, scripture teaches very clearly that everything and everyone belongs to God. And when we get that confused and begin to think that, you know, we really have ownership and we can't afford to lose the things we have, or, um, you know, that we are responsible for our children or our spouses or our employees or the other people in our lives, um, we begin to take on, again, a measure of control that's inappropriate for us and, and uh, sort of forget or sideline the role that God plays as, as our sovereign God. We're visiting today with Amy Simpson, a look at anxious choosing faith in a world of worry. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation. On a topic I think that impacts a lot of us, it's one perhaps that uh, you struggle with, I know it's one that I struggle with, and that is the issue of worry. Family troubles, financial problems, whatever it might be, you worry. But what does that say of your relationship with God, and how do we address the destructive power of worry? That's what we're dealing with today, her new book, Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry. Jack in San Jose. Jack, hello. Welcome. Come on in with your comment or question for Amy Simpson. Thank you, Amy, for saying uh, thank you, KFAX, for taking my calls. Um, I do have uh, a lot of anxiety and worries. Well, I did have them in the past, and I uh, came across my Christian mentor gave me Philippians 4, 6, and 7, that I have tactically memorized that verse, and I... Uh, recite that always as far as uh, taking my memory, my uh, worries, and just submit them to God and let Him take care of all the problems that I'm uh, facing. Pretty much, we we all created worry-free. Uh, I mean, uh, we're filled with worries around us. We worry just about everything. And we think that, you know, we want to have a control of our life, and we want to be in charge of it. We want to be in control of it, but, and that's where we lose it. You know, we do, and that's an excellent observation, Jack, and maybe, maybe you can address that. It's not that having concerns and worries are, are not normal. That's um, not something that we should say, oh, I think worried about something. i got to go and confess. Uh, there's a healthy degree of worry. There's a natural degree of worry, but it's what we do with it. It's how we respond, and as the caller suggests, uh, being able to surrender to Scripture and surrender to God and, and use many Scriptures that exhort us about how important it is to not worry and to surrender those concerns to God can really be a big key toward getting out from underneath the destructive power of worry, can't it? Yeah, absolutely. It's important to recognize that any habit of ours, any behavior is really a reflection of, of something we believe. And so if we're, you know, have, if we have a habit of worry, we're worrying destructively, we need to examine, you know, what's the belief behind that? And the way to combat that belief is to 
reaffirm what is actually true. You know, we're believing something probably that's false, like I'm in charge of the world, or, you know, everything's up to me, or I can control this, um, or I can do a better job than God can. And we need to tell ourselves things that are actually true. And and reciting scripture is a, a wonderful way to do that, because those are God's words, and they are true. All right. We thank you so much, Jack, for your call. That leaves the line open at 888-367-5329-888-F-O-R-K-F-A-X. Is there a healthy degree of worry, Amy? And if so, how do we, we keep that in balance? I mean, for example, there are days when I've left the house and I, I get halfway down the street and I worry, hmm, did I, did I remember to turn off the stove? <laughs> you know? mm-hmm, I mean, right. there are certain types of worry that I would seem, would seem to me can be, can be healthy if they're kept in balance. Yeah, and I would I would really actually make a differentiation between um, there between worry and anxiety because I would say that you know there's a healthy that's a healthy degree of anxiety you know that um, if we're not sure whether we turned off the stove we should we should wonder about that we should have a, a level of anxiety about that that will drive us to either go back and turn it off or turn it off next time you know it helps us to make wise decisions to anticipate things that might happen. Um, but if you were if you were to not do anything about that, and you were just to simply worry about it all day, mm. you know that's not a healthy response, and that's not a productive response. You're not actually accomplishing anything um, to address that problem. You're so, so when worry comes about, yourself. then there, there needs to be some kind of responsive action to it, not just to continue and wring your hands and and uh, pace the floor, but to either surrender over to God, or you know, again in the example, gee, I left the house. I wonder if I turned the stove off. I'm worried about that. Well, yeah, I can... sometimes we're worrying because we're, we're we're putting off taking action on something we actually should should do, and we worry about it instead. Um, and God, God, I would suspect then, always wants us to take action, whether it's responsive, like turning the car back around and heading home and double-checking and finding out, oh, guess what, I did forget to turn off the stove, or putting it in proper perspective and saying, you know what, uh, this is a crippling obsession, uh, it is threatening my well-being, I am trying to control something in the future Right. that I cannot control, and I need to therefore take positive steps, positive action to surrender that to God. Exactly. And sometimes it is a matter of, of acknowledging that we can't actually take any action. It may, there may be a situation that we actually don't have the power to, um, to change or to control, and in those cases we need to acknowledge. And, you know, we often speak of surrendering control to God, but what we're really doing when we do that is um, we're not surrendering anything. We're just acknowledging what's already true. You know, we're not giving God... Um, the responsibility for for the world. He already has it. So we just need to submit ourselves to that. It's a little bit of, again, a sin nature here too, isn't it? Because we're trying to wrestle from God control over things over which we have no control. Yeah, exactly. It's You know, it goes back to the Garden of Eden, really, in, in trying to be, be like God or take on God's um, place in relationship to the universe. And we simply, we simply don't have that that power, and, and we simply have not been given control over everything. And thank God that we have not been, <laughs> um, you know, because we certainly would not make it better. We're visiting with Amy Simpson, author of Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, something that all of us need to take a look at. I mean, there's a whole ton out there to be worried about. The problem is that sometimes we don't keep it in proper perspective. We allow the the obsessive nature of worry to become destructive. And, of course, that destructiveness can not only be crippling from an emotional standpoint, but also destructive in terms of the impact that it has on our relationships. Ultimately, 
our relationship with God, because as Amy suggests, oftentimes this issue of worry is one where we, we're trying to control something that we cannot control that is uniquely in the hands of God. And we're suggesting maybe what through worry that we can do a better job than he can. We might not articulate it that way, but maybe our actions would suggest otherwise. A brief time out, back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, as we have suggested on today's program, there are a lot of reasons why and things going on in the world around us and in your own personal life to worry. Lots of reasons to worry, all except one, and that is that God commands us not to worry. In fact, as suggested by our guest today, we need to take a a strong look at our relationship with him and trust issues if we become overwhelmed by worry. And toward that end, this is an interesting topic in in your own personal life. Um, Amy, how have you struggled with this? Yeah, I mean, this book really comes out of my own experience. I I have really spent a lifetime being a, a worried and anxious person um, but not really recognizing it for what it was, because I could always point to somebody else around me who was w- more worried than I was. Um, but God just really um, began to open my eyes to my own worry habits. Like a few years ago when I was um, sitting in a, a church service and, and I heard uh, Isaiah 40 being read. And, and for some reason, you know, I've been a Christian my whole life. I've heard these passages many times, but for some reason I heard them, heard this in a new way. And and in Isaiah 40, when it talks about God says, you know, who can compare to me? Who is like me? No one. I am, you know, so strong and so mighty that I know all of the stars by name. And because of me, not one of them is missing. And I, for some reason, I, that just hit home for me in a way it hadn't before where I realized, you know, this, this God who is talking to his people in ancient times through the prophet Isaiah is the same God that I claim to trust and to worship. Yeah. And here I am kind of stewing in worry and in anxiety and, and trying to control things that are outside my control. And, uh, you know, if he is keeping track of all the stars and he knows all of them by name, boy, why do I think that I can't trust him with the things that, that worry me and that threaten to overwhelm me? So, I, I, you know, I've been on a journey with that, and God has been addressing that with me and, and writing this book project, you know, is a, a part of that as well. So. I am still on that journey. I am certainly not worry-free, um, but God, God's changing my habits and my heart's there, and he's doing it really through addressing my, the beliefs that fuel my worry. Is a big part of this, too, about priority and perspective? I ask that question because it, we're reminded of um, what Jesus says in Luke twelve twenty-two, where he says, I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough to eat or clothes to wear. Life is more than food, your body more than clothing. Don't be concerned about what to eat or what to drink. Don't worry about such things. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers all over the world, but your heavenly Father already knows your needs. Therefore, seek the kingdom of God first above all else, and he will give you everything that you need. And the reference there to unbelievers puts this in perspective, doesn't it? Worry is what the world does. Worry, and obsessively so, is not what we as Christians should do. Right. We are called to live differently. And we live in a very worried world. We live in a culture that not only worries a lot, but also values worry as a way to show that we're important, we're engaged, we care about the world around us, and is suspicious of people who are at peace. But we are called to live at peace um, and to live a life of faith and trust. And that is a, that is a, a thing that will make us stand out as Christians in this world. 
and you're right, it's, sometimes it is a matter of, um, it's certainly a matter of perspective, sometimes it's a matter of priority as well, because worry can be a way um, of revealing to us that we are prioritizing our own concerns above those of God's, mm. and sometimes just a matter of focusing on, okay, what is important to God in this situation can completely flip our perspective and make us realize that we are worrying over things that, you know, in, in God's <laughs> um, economy, Aren't, don't matter that much. The, the bigger perspective. I mean, because otherwise yeah. we can be crippled as much by worry as by spiritual myopia, that, that, that sense of, of, of short-sightedness or narrow-sightedness that doesn't allow us to look beyond the current problem. And again, I want to be careful in underscoring that there are oftentimes uh, worries that come along over legitimate things, mm-hmm. making sure that you um, have enough money to pay the mortgage to keep a roof over the head of your children if your husband has lost his job or your wife has lost her job. That's a legitimate concern. Absolutely. And yet it shouldn't be a crippling one. And if we allow it to do so, doesn't that suggest a bit of a spiritual narrow-mindedness here that we think somehow that God can't see above and beyond the totality of all of our needs, including whether or not the rent is paid? Yeah, exactly. Sometimes we get lost in our own uh, perspective and forget that there is a much larger perspective. And, of course, that doesn't mean, you know, I don't mean to minimize the things that that make us worry. And God doesn't either, really. If you look in Scripture, God never tells us, don't worry because there's nothing to worry about or because the things that you worry about aren't unimportant. He says, you know, when he tells his people not to worry in Scripture, he always tells them why. And the reason he gives them is never based in um, their circumstances. It's always based in who he is. It's always that we are not to worry because of who God is. And And so regardless of our circumstances, he is greater than those circumstances. And that really takes us back full circle to the initial portion of our conversation where we made that worry-trust correlation that, that really at the end of the day... An extreme degree of worry is suggesting an extreme degree of lack of trust, and the ability to supplant worry with trust um, will will ultimately not only, quite frankly, give us a better night's sleep, but also enrich our spiritual walk and deepen our relationship with Christ. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, and actually, the you know making a habit of practicing trust rather than than worrying, sort of replacing the worry with not only uh, a change in our beliefs, but a change in our practices mm-hmm. can be a powerfully faith-deepening activity. So this is something you have to purpose to do. Yes, it is, especially in a, in a, a world where, uh, you know, the culture around us encourages us to worry, and a world where there are plenty of, of reasons to be worried. You know, if God is not on his throne, if God is not in charge of this world, and if he doesn't love us, we have every reason in the world to be worried. Otherwise, to recognize that this is not a one-and-done sort of approach, that, in fact, you need to renew your trust in him, as the previous caller suggested, um, uh, committing to memory certain scriptures that help you gain uh, a proper balance and focus on relationship and who's really in charge. Because, as Amy points out, if God is not on the throne and God is not in charge, we are in a whole ton of trouble, and therefore you have every reason to worry yourself right into ground. If, however, you believe that God is still on the throne, still in charge, that he is the founder and creator of all that is around us, and there is nothing that is outside of his control, then it's a matter of surrendering the worry over to him, saying no to the enemy who wishes to preoccupy you with worry, and learning to deepen your trust in him. 
The book is called Anxious, Choosing Faith in a World of Worry, and the book newly published by InterVarsity Press. You'll find it at the usual suspects, as well as through Amazon.com. Amy also has a website that you can check out, amysimpsononline.com. And Amy, thanks so much for the time and the insights tonight. There's Amy Simpson, Anxious. All right, be anxious for nothing.